continue this morning in our series called Supernatural. Um, it's really a good, good fit with um, even what we're seeing in the Old Testament. You know, um, the story of Moses, very much a supernatural story. Uh, I love Moses because he admits, I can't do this, God. I can't do what you've asked me to do. Send somebody else. I, and he comes up with a bunch of reasons why, right? And I feel that way. Uh, sometimes the, the, um, the fears, the troubles that we face are strong, and it would be much easier to say, God, find someone else. Uh, I don't want to face this. Um, and indeed, the help from heaven is needed. So let's go to Acts 5, and we're going to start in verse 14. Um, so if you have your Bible with you, um, or your phone, or whatever, or you can follow along right on the screen. Um, we're going to start in verse 17. <clears throat> Then the high priest rose up, he and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Filled with jealousy. And so the, uh, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple and tell the people about this life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Israelites, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. But when the servants got there, they did not find them in the jail. So they returned and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. As the captain of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them, wondering what could come of this. Someone came and reported to them, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then, they, <clears throat> then the commander went with the servants and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. After they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin and the high priest asked, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, who you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to the right hand as a ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered to the men to be taken outside for a little while. He said to them, men of Israel, be careful about what you're about to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished, and his followers were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. They were persuaded by him. And after they called in the apostles and had them flogged, and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. 
Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, I thank you today for this word that is alive, that is speaking to us through the Holy Spirit, and that it has meaning and relevance and connection to all that we are struggling through today. Um, And I pray that you would open our ears to hear it, open our eyes to see, and open our hearts to respond and to be filled with the life of Jesus. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right, so we, uh, we've been talking about this uh, new community that the Spirit of God is forming in the early days and continues to form, and how fear, a, a couple weeks ago, was beginning to threaten the community um, through a, a couple who had chosen the way of self-preservation over community. And the irony there that we learned was that in in order to uh, preserve themselves, it was actually leading to their demise. Um, So this attempt to protect themselves was really their undoing. Um, And I can't happen but see some parallels in our American culture today, in and out of the church. Like, um, you know, we've mentioned this before, but we're incredibly individualistic, right? We look at situations and we ask, how will this impact me? What's best for me? Instead of asking what's best for us, how will this impact us? Um, I mean, just this week, the American CEO, I mean, the Amazon CEO basically admitted that his corporation essentially stole data from other companies that sold products on Amazon and used that data to build their own products, essentially undercutting these other businesses. So we don't care about the ramifications to other human beings or jobs lost or companies put out of business. No, we care about the the dollar and our own profit. Amazon can do it cheaper, and so they're able to undercut the other companies, uh, thus shifting the market in their favor. And you might say, well, hey, man, that's just capitalism. That's just survival of the fittest. You do what you got to do. Other companies need to step up. Well, you know, maybe that's so, but friends... Do we step back and do we look at how others are impacted by our choices or because of our greed and our fears? We do whatever it takes to preserve and protect and promote me and my kingdom and my people and you know, my business and my tribe and my company. And sometimes we do this and we pins and we motivate it deep inwardly by greed and fear, but reality we make it sound like it's wise. And that's the lie of fear. You know, we think we're doing something good and honorable, when in reality we're believing lies that lead to death. Fear leads to death. We saw that last week. But love and the fear of God, or what we said was actually the reverence of God, you know, the term to fear God is better stated to revere God. Revere God. And we said that to do that is to believe God's good intentions and to trust that he is the source of goodness in life. And if we trust him, his words, his works, his ways, even if it gets us killed, this is the good life. This is the great paradox of following Jesus. It often looks like we're going down, like we're losing, and then fear comes at us and says something like, hey, is God really good? Does he really want what's best for you? 
does it really make sense to do this, to open yourself to others, to move towards your enemy, to sit with those different than you, to hold loosely to your possessions, to put people over profit, to stand on the side of the oppressed and the minority? I mean, no, fear screams at us. It says, protect yourself, preserve yourself, take matters into your own hand, get things under control, and that ultimately is a voice of bondage. Yet in the midst of that fear, the Spirit is beckoning to us, wooing us, drawing us into the way that leads to life. And that's what our text is all about this morning. Again, we have a a contrast. A contrast between the way of Jesus and the way of fear. A contrast between the courage of the apostles and the fake courage of a man, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. See, the apostles, verse 31, it says, when in the face of the threats, in the face of what was the looming death, they utter the words, we must obey God rather than people. And this saying has been used by Christians throughout the centuries. It's, it's a kind of a dangerous saying because, you know, while some have used it in the, in the, in the face of, you know, um, death and, and becoming martyrs, you know, others have used this phrase, um, <clears throat> Others have used this phrase to dominate and gain control. We must obey God. And they've created um, campaigns that they have um, justified um, based on this verse. Well, just because you can quote the Bible doesn't mean you're connected to the heart of God. So we need to be clear that our obedience is, is rooted in the words and works and ways of Jesus, right? And... Um, Following those words, works, and ways, which is obviously the whole point of the book of Acts, requires great courage. Requires great courage because the ways of man will not fit neatly with the ways of Jesus often. And so we too will be faced with the question, will I obey God or will I obey people? And the bottom line this morning is really that to obey God, to follow the ways of Jesus requires great courage courage. See, because when I size up my choices in life, my impulse, we talked about that way way back, my amygdala, right, my fear uh, mechanism um, starts to get, get in the way, and I need courage to overcome that by trusting the goodness of God in a way of love. Because when I face those challenges, uh, I need courage, you know, whether it's um, the, whether it's doing what's right in the face of people not being happy with me, or telling the truth when it's not popular, or facing the realities of a difficult job market in the face of a lost job, or working for a challenging supervisor, or humbling myself in repentance and confession, uh, or bringing how I've been hurt and wounded to others, or you know, picking up the phone and calling someone, or sitting down at the table and really listening uh, you know, to another person showing empathy and allowing their lives to impact mine. Or whether it's just parenting in the way of love rather than fear, right? All of these things, or ultimately, if it's, your, if it's facing the fear of death, which we all will, will face, my impulse is often toward fear. And it's why over and over again in Scripture you hear the words, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. So we see courage in the early followers of Jesus, not to back down in the face of fear, not to give in to pleasing people, 
Then a Pharisee, um, a teacher of the law, a pretty influential man steps forward. And initially, it looks like he's advocating for the followers of Jesus, right? It looks like he gets it a little bit. He's not quite as extreme as these Sadducees. He's more of a moderate, you know? And, and ultimately, he helps prevent these guys from being killed. And that's great. And God, you know, worked that out for his purposes. But got to look a little deeper here. Ultimately, this man is very passive. He, he adopts a wait-and-see approach. And if the way of love is to trust that God is the source of goodness in life, Camille isn't convinced. Camille isn't convinced. I mean, these Jesus followers, don't they already have a good bit of evidence? I mean, Camille says, well, look, if their if they're, um, campaign here is motivated by you know, human origin will, will fail, but if it was God, you, you're not going to be able to overflow them. Well, don't they already have a, 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 um, a growing um, bed of evidence that this is, the wor- this is of God? I mean, just before this section, we read how many uh, were sick and healed by the hands of these Jesus followers. And so all of that hadn't really persuaded Gamil and the Sadducees. They didn't see it. And while there's truth in his statement... I think it's even motivated by fear. You know, the Sadducees, are, are, it says they're afraid of the people. They're afraid that if they make the wrong choice, that people are going to be after them. And they're motivated by that fear and by that power and that control. And then Gamil, not really convinced about the way of Jesus, watch what he does. He steps back and watches as these followers are whipped and flogged. He stands there at a safe distance as the men who he just advocated for um, are beaten. And we have to ask the question, is half justice really justice at all? In a lot of ways, this is what's kind of been happening in our country around racism. Those of us who have enjoyed power and privilege sit back, watch from a distance, uttering half-truths. We write our statements, we post our tweets, uh, we make some comments, maybe we even say things like, well, things are better than they were before. Look at how far we've come. I don't understand. And while some of that's true, people are still being mistreated and oppressed and beaten right in front of our faces. And what do we do? We stand back at a distance. We watch. I'm guilty of it. It doesn't hurt me. And actually then, to get involved, to, to push for the words and works and ways of Jesus, that actually might hurt me. Then I might actually become uncomfortable. That means I have to step into the fight, which means I could get hurt. And there is where I need courage. Because it's easy to stand back at a distance and watch. It's hard to jump in the middle of the fight. Uh, Pastor Carl Lentz, when speaking with Emmanuel Acho on an episode of Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, which I highly recommend that you check out, by the way, he invites us to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. He said that maybe this is part of the divide in our country. You know, if you're a peacemaker, that means you have to go and find war. You have to go and find trouble. You have to go and find the hurting. Now, It's not about looking to stir up trouble or war. 
But it's about being part of the solution, actively being part of, 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 of peacemaking. It's not enough just to keep the peace. As followers of Jesus, we are working towards true peace, towards what the Bible calls shalom. Shalom, and in English, the word peace doesn't really quite capture God's shalom. No, shalom is this sort of returning to the way things were designed and God's wholeness coming to mankind, to all people, and, and where, where there's righteousness and justice and reconciliation. And um, it's so much more than just feeling peaceful. See, but peacekeepers are more concerned with staying away from the fight, keeping the distance, avoiding conflict. You know, hey, let's just all get along. And if we really look under the surface, that's kind of motivated by our own fears, isn't it? And I think we see that contrast this morning. One group of people motivated by love, filled with courage in the face of fear, I mean, Peter here is even given witness to Jesus. He's trying to encourage his oppressor. And another group of people are motivated by fear. All right, so how do we become, as we kind of land the plane this morning, how do we become people of courage, not fear? I don't know about you, but I, I, I want to be a peacemaker. I want my life to be part of bringing shalom. I don't want to just tolerate the way things are or keep the peace and keep a safe distance. I want to jump in the fight. I want to be part of the redemption story. So first thing we got to do is get rid of the notion that we are the hero. There's an inward dimension to courage, something that works itself out in the very depths of our being. But listen, the source of the apostles' courage here was not something they mustered up on their own. It's not something they mustered up on their own. They utter the words here, you know, we must obey God rather than people. And it says, they, you know, and then Peter goes on to say, God our, of our ancestors raised up Jesus whom you murdered. He's exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior. And the word in there uh, that they use is, is, is this word archegos, archegos, which is used only four times in the New Testament. And it can be translated a pioneer, author, or hero. And Jesus was different than the heroes of the ancient world. You know, parents in the ancient world, you know, would tell stories of heroes like Achilles or Hercules or Odysseus, you know, as a means to inspire their children. And it seems as if the early followers of Jesus are doing something similar here, but, but Jesus is not like the other heroes. He, he had power and, and he gave up his power. He gave up his invulnerability. He gave up his immortality. He laid himself down. We called it before. Remember the word kenosis. Kenosis. This way of laying down himself. This self-emptying. This voluntary emptying. Not just to be empty, but this emptying to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and filled with the love of the Father. This was Jesus' courage. See, Jesus didn't find courage within by drawing on his own power. He relied intimately and deeply on his relationship with the Spirit and with his Father. Dean Pinter writes, we need courage that is not just for those of us who are innately strong, but also for those of us who are all too aware of our weaknesses. He goes on to say that relying on our inner resources is just not enough. 
And matter of fact, when we start doing some, this work of this inner work of kenosis, that, and we start to see what's really within us, we start to ask questions like, "What's happening inside of me? What are my motivations? What are my fears? What are my feelings?" And when we connect with those inner realities, we realize that we have a need for that for much more than that which is within us, because we see we see what's in us is limited. And we can't just ignore what's in, within us either. That's what Gamil does. That's not courage. He doesn't really believe God is at work. But he brings this outward appearance that's pleasing to others and, and looks as if he has wisdom. It's like those going around saying, I'm colorblind. I don't see color in regards to racial issues. Well, no, you're just ignoring reality. You are ignoring the prejudices and the challenges while focusing on something that sounds positive, it sounds righteous, but at the end of the day, it's really all about you. Even the statement, you're talking about yourself. It's not about listening or understanding the other person who's been oppressed. It's about what you do or don't see. And it sounds heroic. It sounds courageous, but friends, that's not real courage. Real courage begins with humility, begins by owning my weakness, owning my prejudice, owning my ego, and laying that down, not ignoring it, but naming it and processing it and submitting it in relationship with others and the Holy Spirit. True, un- true courage understands that I need resources beyond myself. I need help. I don't have everything I need within me. Secondly, courage comes from looking beyond me. If I don't have everything I need within me, well, where do I go for courage? Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance. Let us lay aside. That's the work of kenosis. Empty. Let us give up. Let us set set aside these, these things that so easily ensnare us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes, okay, our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer. There it is, that Archegos word, the hero, Jesus, the, the hero and, and perfecter of our faith. For the joy, now, now, the, now the writer of Hebrews is talking about Jesus, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand. Friends, we carry a lot of stuff with us, and we got to lay it, lay it aside. That's the kenosis part. I, I've lost some weight recently. That's been cool, you know? But I look back, and I go, how did I carry that extra weight? How did I carry that around? So we got to shed some weight through kenosis and through learning to look at Jesus as our hero. And that's what Peter and these early followers of Jesus are doing. And then it says what Jesus does. For the joy that lay before him, he endured. For the joy that lay before him, he had courage. So what enabled Jesus to have courage in the midst of his darkest hour? The joy that was to come. Well, what was that joy? What did Jesus not already have that lay on the other side of the cross? What was he looking at? Well, I believe it was the joy of his family the joy of his family, his mission to redeem and restore a people. We talked about this a few weeks back with the father and his family mission. 
See, Jesus is in the midst of his fears, had his eyes focused on the joyous relationship he had with the Father and his mission of building his family of love. <coughs> his mission of bringing healing, wholeness, redemption. Jesus was looking at the Father and he was looking at us. What do people look at when they often need courage? What do, what, do, what do we look for in the face of our fears sometimes as motivation? What do you hear people look for? What, what, what is the most common thing you hear people talk about? As a motivation in, in life. It's often what? What? No, you're being too kind. I mean, you're being too um, critical. (laughs) Family. I mean, there's some shallow things, money, food, fame, you know, personal ego, but really, people often, as a source of great motivation in life, look to the loved ones closest to them, don't they? Um, and I wonder if we're wired that way. <clears throat> this is Jesus' mission, his family mission, right? And, and I contend as followers of Jesus that our motivations, our gaze, is not just set on our nuclear families, you know, but we too are invited to fix our eyes on the pioneer, the, our Chagos, the hero of our faith, Jesus, and his redemption mission to form a family of love and healing and renewal for the world. I don't stand up in the face of my fears simply for the three other people in my immediate family or the several others in my extended family or for the building of this local church family. No, friends, when we are connected to something so much bigger than that, it's why our mission as a church is joining God's story of redemption. We aren't just benefactors of Jesus' blood for a future time to come. No, God is at work now. Jesus is on a mission now. And he's inviting us into the same joy that motivated him to overcome. And it's not some far-off mission like sending people to China only reserved for a few super saints. No, God's mission begins in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our places of daily life. It begins in the conversations and the attitudes and the places you know, where we would rather live for our own comfort than stand up for the way that leads for life. It's an everyday mission. It begins by confronting our fears, honestly and vulnerably, confessing them, doing the work of kenosis, acknowledging that we don't have the, all the resources within us, that we aren't the hero. And it begins by keeping our gaze on Jesus, our real hero, and, and his words and works and ways that empower us to live courageously and to join his redemption mission every day. So as we close, I want to tell you a story uh, that comes from the remote mountains of a region in France called Les Chambons. I don't know. I, it sounded good. <laughs> and, and here's what, um, here's what happened there. Um, it, um, there's a mountainous region in France near the Italy and Swiss borders. Uh, for centuries, this area has come um, to be home to Protestant groups, uh, primarily the Huguenots, 
And during the Nazi occupation of France, the 5,000 residents of Le Chambon became a very open pocket of resistance. They did not resist, though, with guns, but with goodness. The local Huguenot pastor was a man named André Trocme. On the Sunday after France fell to Germany, Trocme preached a sermon declaring that if Germans required them to do anything contrary to Jesus and the gospel and the words, works, and ways of Jesus, right, that they would not obey. He reminded his listeners, the responsibility of Christians is to resist the violence that will be brought to bear on the consciences through the weapons of the Spirit. When the local government demanded that school children must begin their day with the fascist salute, they refused. When the teachers in Le Chambon's school were required to sign an oath of loyalty to the government, they refused to sign it. Before long, Jewish individuals and families began to make their way to Le Chambon. Without question and without demands, the residents of Le Chambon took them in. Over the course of the war, over 5,000 Jews were fed, hidden, or transferred to safety across the borders in clear and open defiance to the Nazi regime. On one occasion, when Nazi officials came to the town, a group of students met them and presented them a letter stating the reasons for their brazen defiance. We feel obligated to tell you that there are among us a certain number of Jews, the letter stated, but we make no distinction between Jews and non-Jews. It is contrary to the gospel teaching. If our comrades, whose only fault is to be born in another religion, receive the order to let themselves be deported or even examined, they would disobey the order received and we would try to hide them as best we could. We have Jews, you're not getting them, they said. Where did the residents of Le Chambon find the strength to defy the Nazis blatantly? Pastor Trecomi declared that their heroic handling of opposition, persecution, and suffering came from the weapons of the Spirit. Supernatural courage. Courage that goes back to this text in Acts 5. We must obey God rather than people. Friends, we all need courage today. Many of us will never face the kind of challenges or threats that the early followers of Jesus faced or that those of Les Chambon faced or that even today many of our uh, black and minority brothers and sisters face. Most of us, though, no matter who we are, we need courage to walk the words, works, ways of Jesus. Where do you need courage today? Where do you need courage to overcome, to walk in the words and works and ways of Jesus? We, you know it's unpopular. You know it's difficult. You know standing up for truth and justice 
And I'm not talking about fighting for our rights. Jesus laid down his rights. I'm not against the religious freedom rights and and all that. That's great. We, We live in a country. We have afforded some rights, and it's beautiful. And I thank God for that. I thank God for those who have who have, um, who have paid a price for those rights. But friends, uh, I'm talking about what do we need to lay down today for the sake of truth, for the sake of justice, for the sake of the, the kingdom of God, for the sake of shalom, for the sake of the redemption story. It might just be your own ego in the face of a relationship and being willing to say, I'm sorry. Be courage to just engage with somebody different than you. To sit down, to listen. Not listening to try to change them, but listening to allow yourself to be changed by them. We all need courage today.